The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Today's scripture reading is from Luke 10, 38-42. And they were bringing children to Him that He might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. But when Jesus saw it, He was indignant and said to them, Let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. This is the word of the Lord. Praise Praise be be to Christ. Thank you, Emily. You did a great job today in both services. We really appreciate it. Um, so we're, uh, we are in our uh, current series now on, uh, that we're calling Encounters with Christ, and uh, today I'm going to talk about an encounter that Jesus had with some little children and their parents, and uh, um, not everybody has the same affection for children and for the little ones as Jesus Christ does. I remember uh, in New York, we were, we were searching, uh, or at least flirting with the idea of, of moving to a new apartment. Everybody in New York City lives in apartments and came across an advertisement for a new building. And uh, one of the features of the new building was a childcare room where, where residents could drop their children off. And uh, the tagline went this way, drop off your urchins and go live your real life. That was tough. As a father of, of two young girls at the time, um, but we're not immune. We're all susceptible to feeling that way, even though we may not say the words. Even C.S. Lewis, author of the masterful Narnia Chronicles for children, uh, in his collected letters said, I theoretically hold that one ought to like children, but I'm shy with them in practice. In the abolition of man, Lewis said, I myself do not enjoy the society of small children. I recognize this as a defect in myself. So there's another icon uh, whose name was Fred Rogers, a Presbyterian minister, uh, also known as Mr. Rogers, the unofficial mayor of Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. And one thing that drove Mr. Rogers, if you've read his biography, you would be aware of this, one thing that drove him toward children was anger. If you can imagine Mr. Rogers being angry, it was actually anger that drove him toward his life calling. Anger because of the way that grown-ups treated children. By and large, according to Mr. Rogers, adults did not take children seriously. He saw adults as oftentimes condescending toward the little ones. Uh, you know, and you see it right here, even in the disciples of Jesus, where the parents are bringing their little ones to Jesus and the disciples are, are trying to shoo them away. Are you too busy for that? Uh, much more important things to attend to. Uh, take the urchins away so we can live our real lives. 
So Mr. Rogers was angry about the condescension. He was also angry about the dismissiveness that, that often adults have toward children who feel deeply when things go wrong, responding with uh, simple throwaway phrases like, don't worry about it, it's no big deal, shut up, everything's going to be okay, when it's not going to be okay. Children loved Mr. Rogers because he took them seriously, intellectually, and emotionally. When there were tough issues, Mr. Rogers would not avoid them. He would not shelter the children from the tough issues that the children were actually facing, many of them, like divorce. He would talk straight about things like divorce and and death. And when President Kennedy was assassinated, he he took it head on. And it was always in a child-appropriate way, and it was always with that tenderness and that reassurance and that empathy for the things that they were feeling. He didn't dismiss, and he didn't condescend. Mr. Rogers believed that the most destructive emotion to society was fear, and he wanted to help children not to stuff their fears, but to process them in healthy ways. And so, if we are like C.S. Lewis, if we are among those who don't like the society of small children, the problem is not with the children. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, belongs to such as these. And you'll never see the kingdom of God yourself as a grown-up until you learn to crawl again. You'll never be able to stand, you'll never be able to run until you crawl again and stay low for the rest of your life, because the only place where you can see the kingdom clearly is at the feet of Jesus on the ground. Like Fred Rogers, Jesus Christ, if you could imagine Jesus Christ getting angry, Jesus Christ got angry at things like condescension and dismissiveness toward children. It says here in the Greek, he was indignant at the grown-ups that were trying to dismiss the children. And so, I wanted to explore uh, in the next few moments three things that children teach us about life in the kingdom and, and being fully and truly human. One is their honesty, another is their boldness, and, and the final one is their sense of belonging. So, so, let's start with honesty. Most of the time, children call it like they see it. If you're in a relationship with a child or a group of children, you know this. A kid zone is typically a, a spin, an obfuscation, and, and, and white lie-free zone, especially when we're talking about the way we feel or the thoughts that we're having. Not long ago, we, we had a, a family in our home uh, for dinner, and their daughter, uh, as they were leaving, it was time to go home, their daughter looked up at me and said, thanks for dinner. See you later, old man. (laughs) Just being honest, just being observant about the gray hair, the receding hairline, holding my back half the night, those sorts of things. You know, if you're in the grocery line, if you're on an airplane, if you're some other place where where children are, if a child is hungry, tired, happy, has to go potty, everybody's going to know about it. Everybody. 
Children are messy, but in their messiness, they are also archetypes for us of integrity. Remember math class, that word integer, it's the root for this word integrity, and integer is a whole number. A whole person, as the children teach us, is the same person in this environment as they are in that environment. And so, what we can learn from children is this, that a whole adult, an adult that continues to crawl in health, is going to be the same person in private as they are in public, the same person in a boardroom as they are on a ball field, same person on Sunday morning as they are on Friday night, the same person while reading a Bible as they are when stuck in traffic. This is a gut check for us when we look at the way that children are and the words of Jesus about children in the kingdom of God. Because so many of us, instead of maturing as we get older, we de-mature. We stop crawling. We stop being childlike and start becoming childish. There are a lot of 70-year-old children and six-year-old grown-ups as far as Jesus is concerned. And the chief sign of disintegrity, of disintegration, of dematuration is the disintegration of truthfulness. Like Adam and Eve in the garden, they hid They told lies, they obfuscated, they shifted blame, they didn't take ownership. They lived all the time as if they were on trial, on trial with God, on trial with each other, and on trial with even what they see in the mirror. We're all like the comedian who said that he does comedy so that he can have something out there so that people will like him. It's the reason behind everything he does, the comedian said on the talk show. Or Groucho Marx, who said, these are my principles. And if you don't like them, I have others. D maturation. It, 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 it turns us from being human to being lizards, chameleons, changing colors to blend in to whatever environment that we find ourselves inside of in order to protect ourselves from predators, real and imagined. It's what the Bible calls the fear of man, exchanging the fear of God, putting the the most weight on on what God thinks of us, and exchanging that for a heart that puts the most weight and the most influence on what people think of us. It's what Jack Miller called the approval suck. We suck on the breast of others' approval, as if that's what's going to nourish us, and instead it malnourishes us, and we have to become disintegrated, dishonest people in order to do that, 
If we want the approval of other people to be our Jesus, instead of Jesus being our Jesus, we have to become disintegrated and dishonest. We have no other choice. It starts typically in middle school and high school, which is our first exposure to a world that has sharks and minnows and that has queen bees and wannabes, bullies and those who are susceptible to being bullied. It's that fear that Mr. Rogers talked about, the most destructive of all human emotions that will cause us to be dishonest and do and say things that make us feel dirty. Back in ninth grade, when I first entered high school, I was terrified. I was terrified of the social climate. I was terrified of the shark and queen bee reality. And so I figured I'm going to try to cover over that with humor. I'm going to I'm going to lobby early on to be one of the class clowns that everybody laughs at because they think I'm funny, but, but my angle was to be mean. There are two incidences that I will never forget and that I'll always be ashamed of, and the first was when in, in class the teacher asked a question and then one of my fellow students raised his hand and gave the answer, and the answer was incorrect, and I said, that was stupid. And everybody in the room started laughing, all the students at least. And then there was another time where I looked across homeroom in ninth grade and said, hey, so-and-so, to, to, a, to a young girl, you're ugly. People started laughing again. Both of, both of the times that I did that, that I tried to become the shark so that I wouldn't get eaten by a shark, so that I tried to become the queen bee so that I wouldn't get stung by the queen bee, I felt dirty. I still feel dirty about those two moments and the vandalism that I did to two other human souls. It's still an issue for me. It comes out in different ways. My biggest fear now is not that you won't think I'm funny. My biggest fear is that I'll lose face with you and that you'll think I'm stupid. It's another New York City moment. I'm, I'm in a staff meeting, and everybody in the room graduated from a, an Ivy League university except for me. And so I thought, I'm going I'm to fake smart here. And I used the word inertia, and I used it wrong. <laughs> and a Brown graduate looked at me and said, don't you mean momentum? And I felt dumb for the rest of the day. And I heard that voice, Scott, you are dumb. And then I started to think, what, what smart thing can I do to make them forget my dumbness? Still, I mean, still works on me in middle age. This happened with Peter. Galatians chapter 2, pillar of the church, apostle. It says that he is relationally withdrawing, passively bullying an entire group of people that Jesus loves because of the fear of man because he wanted the approval of people to be as Jesus. The fear of man. For fear, it says, of the circumcision party, and the circumcision party was essentially the sharks and the queen bees of the early church. So, for fear of them, he withdrew from people that Jesus had called him to love. And then another time, 
massive display of cowardice. Three times, Jesus going to the cross. Peter had pledged his loyalty, and, and, and Peter denies Jesus three times. I didn't know. I don't know him. I never knew him. Never heard of him. Not to big crowds of, of powerful Roman soldiers, but to a handful of women living quietly, doing their daily chores. Jesus' answer for us, if you feel the same tension that Peter did or that I did in middle school and high school, the fear of the sharks and minnows, his answer for us is the same as it was for the children. There is no need to suck approval from anyone. It really sucks when you do. Hurts everybody, including you. You're already approved. That's Jesus' answer. You're already approved. By virtue of your existence, I love you not because you've contributed something, not because you're funny, not because you're smart. I love you because I love you. And that's why I love you, because I love you. He takes them into His arms, He blesses them, He touches them, and there's a subtlety here because this, this blessing, this touch, this taking into the arms is not just for the little babies, it's for kids from 1 to 92. So every time you hear that phrase in the Advent season coming up, think about this. When you crawl, Jesus takes you into His arms too and blesses you and touches you. Honesty, but then there's boldness. The, the, the logic for their boldness is this. They assume that they are safe. They assume that they belong. Even Jesus said it. Let the little children come to me, for, for the kingdom belongs to them. And you, Jesus says, must receive the kingdom of God just like a child. This word receive means to take hold of, in the same way that a baby takes hold of its mother's breast. This word for child means infant. So we're talking about that kind of latching. You know, through the Gospels, throughout the Gospels, you ever notice this, you know, you Bible readers, do you ever notice how many times Jesus looks at His grown-up disciples and calls them children? Children, my little children, little ones. It's a term of an endearment, it's a term of affection. As if to say, your first responsibility is to receive from me. That's your first responsibility, is to receive love, to receive my touch. This word touch, where it says Jesus touched him. I wonder if some of them were standing around there and getting reminded of another time when the word touch was used, and it was in the prophet Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 6, when Isaiah is completely wrecked because he sees a picture of what God looks like, and then he sees himself in light of what God looks like, and he realizes there's this massive gap between him, the prophet, and a holy God. And he, he, says, he says, I am unclean. I am wretched. I have unclean lips. And, and I know this now because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. And it says that the Lord responds to him, not with condemnation, not with destruction, not with shame, but with a touch. The Lord sends His angel with a coal from the altar of sacrifice and, it, and touches His unclean lips with the coal. It's symbolic. And then the angel of the Lord says, this coal has touched you. Do not fear. Do not engage that most destructive emotion that Fred Rogers talked about. 
for your guilt is removed, your sin is atoned for, you're covered. You know, the Apostle Peter, after, after he eventually came to his senses, and after he eventually put his cowardice under the light of the gospel after Christ came back from the dead and reassured him of his love in spite of himself. I love you, Peter, because I love you, and that's why I love you. Peter writes this in 1 Peter 2, 2. Like newborn children, crave pure spiritual milk. Crave Scripture. Crave the bosom of Christ, that by it you may grow up into salvation. Learn to crawl, then you'll be able to stand. You know, a sign that we're growing up in Christ is, is this emerging, healthy, life-giving boldness that we also see in the children. Children's source of courage, what is it? It's, it's the children that we know that are fearless are the ones that are confident that they've been accepted. And Tim Keller comments on it this way. He says, children don't come in negotiating. They come in saying, Daddy, they're helpless. They want the whole thing. They want it all. They need everything from you. On the other hand, children expect to be accepted. They expect to be loved. A four-year-old walks in and is sure that everybody is interested in what she wants to say. She's positive everyone will find her completely interesting. On the one hand, just like the little children, we're utterly helpless. You know, the great Jonathan Edwards once said that your only contribution to your salvation is the sin that made it necessary. And yet, you are loved even at your worst. He loves you because He loves you. So, this means a whole lot, especially given who it's coming from. So, if I come in on Monday and and one of our our staff members say, you know, I, I just really like seeing you on Monday mornings, that makes me feel really good. I think that that's so nice. But if my wife and my children say to me, especially if my wife, after 23 years of marriage, says to me, when I hear the door open when you come home, my heart starts skipping a little bit faster because I'm so happy to see you. That means the world because my wife, unlike many of the people on our staff, know the very worst things about me and have been injured and has been injured repeatedly by the very worst things about me, and she still says my heart bumps a little bit faster when the door opens and you come through it. That's a wow thing. You know, so one of our our church elders, one of our esteemed church elders, uh, went home to heaven not long ago, and his adult son was, who's also part of our church, uh, was eulogizing his father from the very Uh, pulpit that I stand in right now. And he said, all of my life, my father told me two things. I love you, and I'm proud of you. And he went on to say, when a man hears those two things all his life, he can't help but accomplish something. Do you know that the first two things that God wants to tell you at the beginning and end of every day is, I love you, 
and I'm proud of you, not because of what you've done, what you've accomplished, or the things about you that you've covered up. I love you because I love you, and that's why I love you. Kids from 1 to 92, the voice of Satan is a voice of hindrance. You know, Jesus says, do not hinder the little children. The voice of Satan is a voice of hindrance when we want to move toward Jesus. You're not good enough. Jesus doesn't want to have anything to do with you. You're dumb. You're ugly. You're invisible. You're irrelevant. You're ignorable. You're a failure. And in the same way that Jesus got indignant back then, he gets indignant. You better believe he gets indignant when Satan tries to agitate us with statements like that. To such belong the kingdom of God. And then he takes you in his arms, he blesses you, he touches you. Belonging is the final word that the children give us. The little ones belong. That's the word Jesus uses here. One of the greatest highlights of my um, almost quarter of a century of ministry it happened this past week where I, I was invited to speak at an event for Johnny and Friends, which is a, a ministry, a global ministry to uh, people with disabilities and special needs. And uh, their founder, Johnny Erickson Tata, who's lived her life as a quadriplegic in a wheelchair since age 17, she's in her 60s now, um, has been a hero to Patty and I long before we ever had our first opportunity to meet her. But one of the joys about that was being able to talk about Gigi and Tyler and the team and, and how our church family uh, uh, is, serves and is served by people and families with special needs. And I got to tell a story especially about a young man in our church community who has Down syndrome and autism. And one day he decides he's going to grab his father's phone without his father knowing it and just start to randomly text people in the contact list. And he texted them all the same thing, love you. And for the rest of the day, uh, the father would be receiving texts back from family members, friends, mild acquaintances, complete strangers. <laughs> Love you too? You know, the dad described another time where he was feeling anxious, and, you know, in one of those ways around the dinner table where everybody can, can see it. And in comes the son again, dad, Holy Spirit. And then, boom, right out the door. Belonging. To such belongs the kingdom of heaven. You know, some children are less certain about their place in the world, which is possibly why the preceding passage is about divorce. And the high bar that Jesus places on divorce and he says, you know, unless you've been cheated on or abandoned, this is a covenant that mirrors my covenant with my people. And I think, if I'm speculating, and N.T. Wright agrees with me on this, that the reason why Jesus set the, the bar so high here 
is because he cares about vulnerable people. And in that day, women were especially vulnerable. If a, if a husband dismissed his wife, she was faced with the very difficult decision oftentimes of either starving or becoming a prostitute. So Jesus is fiercely protective of the vulnerable. Then T. Wright says the other group of people that's deeply affected is the children. And, you know, put positively, what would it do for the children when there isn't adultery, when there isn't abandonment? What would it do for the children when, when parents were going through a rough season or having an argument for the parents to not lie? to their intuitive children who know the truth anyway, but to say, you know, mom and dad are going through some stuff right now, but we also want you to know we're committed to each other, and we're, we're, we're committed to work this out, and we're committed to get to the place where we can apologize and where we can forgive, and, and let's just say that repeats itself, that conversation re repeats itself 150 times during the child's upbringing. Just think of what that might do in terms of filling the kids' emotional love tank to prepare them for adulthood. See, but this is all really just a pointer. It's not ultimately about marriage and divorce. It's not really ultimately even about children in Jesus as much as it is about our infidelity, our daily filing of divorce against Him, and His daily pursuit of us as our bridegroom. You know, Jesus endured all the pains of divorce and separation and severing and being betrayed and being cheated on and being abandoned, and even His Father turned His back on Christ, not because Christ had been unfaithful, but because we had. And, 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 and that was what was necessary in order to recover us and to save the marriage. And so that we would continue to be welcomed and loved at our worst and touched at our worst and held forever at our worst and given a seat at the table even at our worst. You know, even with our histories, with our regrets, with our shame, with our feelings of being dumb, ugly, invisible, irrelevant, ignorable failures. Jesus looks at us even still and says, little children, I see the worst in you. Little children, I see and I feel how you've injured me, and my heart still beats faster whenever you walk, the, whenever you walk through the door. Now, let's eat. And as you come to my table, which is also your table, I want to remind you again, I will never divorce you. We will always work it out, and I will make sure of it. Thanks be to God. Let that be our invitation. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this episode. Thank you for Mr. Rogers. And thank you for Jesus, both of whom demonstrate for us an appropriate anger and indignation whenever 
children are belittled, condescended to, and dismissed. Thank you for the reminder that this is, that you also bow up when we, your kids from 1 to 92, are belittled, condescended, and dismissed by the devil, by the world, by our own hearts. We thank you that you are so zealous that we know how safe, how protected, how received, how taken into your arms, how blessed and how touched we are every single day by your gift from the altar that promises us the same thing that you promised to Isaiah, that our guilt has been removed, that our sin has been atoned for. Therefore, we have no reason left to hide, no reason left to run, no reason left to become a shark or a queen bee, lest we be bitten by the sharks or stung by the queen bees. We are safe to remain human and to not become lizards. Save us from our chameleon selves. Teach us to live with integrity, with honesty, with boldness and belonging, just as the children do when they are at their best. It's in your name we pray. Amen.